0: Open our Bibles to the book of Second Peter. Book of Second Peter. Of course, I was uh, absent a couple of Sundays, so I am greatly indebted to those who covered both Sunday school and the pulpit. I'm sure, it was a blessing uh, to you guys, it was certainly a blessing to me. Whether camping out in the middle of nowhere or being here uh, last Lord's Day, just very satisfied to see the Word of God go forth faithfully and with power, and authority. So we're going to re-enter the book of Second Peter this morning. And uh, if you guys don't remember, you may remember, you may not, but last time I preached, we are moving through this theme of the new heaven and new earth. And my original plan was to get through the text itself, and that would be in chapter 3, uh, verse 13, talking about the promise of a new heaven and new earth where righteousness dwells. And after getting through that, explore some of the the nuances of that theme, uh, perhaps for a few weeks. But uh, I've decided that it's probably best now, best for the church, just to continue working our way through the book of Second Peter. I was thinking of the things that I wanted to cover regarding the new heavens and new earth and just came to the conclusion, well, I've covered a lot of that stuff. I think we've uh, we've satisfied the demands of the text, and perhaps that's something we can um, exhaust at a later time. But the mission, the mission before us is Second Peter. So we want to be faithful to complete that mission and not get into other uh, related topics, related though they are, uh, but also become detached from the flow of 2 Peter. So so all that to say, we are going to continue into 2 Peter. So if you're there, chapter 3, and I will read from verse 14 to the end of the book. 2 Peter 3, 14 through 18, please follow along as I read. "...therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and regard the patient of our Lord as salvation, just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom, wisdom given him, wrote to you, as also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort, as they do also the rest of the Scriptures to their own destruction." You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. So this will this will close us out and, and we will not get through the entire passage today. Uh, some of the things in here, of course, Serve us better if we're able to expand on them a little bit, especially in light of certain things that the church is experiencing. We expand on various passages that uh, are, a, are able to be a fitting response to the various uh, challenges that the church faces, to the various uh, ways that we see ourselves involved in today's culture war. The church has always been in a culture war, believe it or not. We just experience it in different ways, and sometimes Certain challenges are more challenging than others. And so, especially when it comes to what Peter will have to say regarding Paul's words, we can uh, spend some time on that. But what I want to get through today is uh, verse 14 and the first part of verse 15. So the title of the sermon today is looking for these things, which is exactly what Peter describes of the saints looking for these things, A call to those who believe the promise. So that is what sets up the context. We start in verse 14, but he says, therefore. So therefore, in light of what we have just discussed regarding this anticipated judgment on Jerusalem in the old order, what we have discussed regarding the new heavens and the new earth. So I think all of that is wrapped up into this therefore. We say therefore, so that we keep in mind what has just been announced. And Peter, we notice, has been very careful in that regard, that we have to keep these things in mind because we have to be able, the church has to be able to have a response to them. A biblically oriented, spirit-empowered response to the things that are going to take place. It's not only that the old creational order is coming down, or at least the beginning of it is coming down with the fall of Jerusalem, but there are also things to look forward to. It's not just the end of something it is a new beginning. And one of the things that we've established that is of the utmost importance to understanding Second Peter is that the new creation is something, the new heavens and new earth, has already been inaugurated in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it, has been, and it has been verified, or you could say Christ's claims have been vindicated in this judgment upon Jerusalem. Now we look back and see it as a historical event, but in Peter's time we notice that it is still an anticipated event. That Jesus is coming, and that He is coming in what He calls the day of vengeance, where Jerusalem will be destroyed, and it will be the first of many enemies that are put under Christ's feet, and it will be an undeniable uh, event. And so Peter calls attention to the Beloved. He says, therefore, Beloved, since you look for these things, of course, those are those things, all of these things, all of these things related to the coming day of the Lord from verse three onwards. You are those who are looking for these things. You are, you are attentive. You don't expect them and then again sit on the laurels of victory. You do not expect them and then of course become spiritually lazy or detached from the people of God. This looking for these things is something that engages the church, something to which we give our constant attention but of course rather than being obsessively observant whether this time or then over all the various ills of the human race all of the injustice all of the wickedness that seems to prevail in so many levels of society around the world we are even more so looking for those redemptive reversals that God is bringing to bear through the preaching of the gospel we bring that up because we the question will come how does the new heaven and new earth, or how do the new heavens and new earth come to bear? How are they made a reality? Nothing less than the preaching of the gospel of the kingdom. Through nothing less than the regenerate, the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. Nothing less than the nations being discipled. Well, who's going to disciple the nations? Well, that's the Christians. The Christian is going to go out through all the world and make disciples of the nations. And until that happens, we proclaim the Gospel faithfully. And I do not believe that that has happened yet. It is a continued work. It is a continual effort. It is the mission, the great commission of the church until all enemies are put under Christ. So We do that faithfully. And so with that understanding, looking for those things, we are then to be diligent. There is a call involved here that Peter says it doesn't just stop with this Fiery destruction of the heavens, the old heavens and the old earth. There is a call to those who believe this promise, who believe these things that Peter announces. And look at this. He uses an important word here. He says, be diligent to be found, to be found by him, by him, by God, right? There's a diligence involved. There's an active focus involved. There is a commitment involved. That is the call. And it says, be diligent to be found. By him Now, Peter is repeating himself here. He's using the same words and, and similar verbs that he uses earlier. And, of course, this is a, a fresh promise. If you look at verse 10, we see this day of the Lord that will come like a, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. Now, this term, burned up, also means burned. To be found or to be discovered or to be made plain, meaning that we will see these things as they really are, that the old, all, all that is expressive of the apostasy and the godlessness and the corruption of the old creational order, especially as summed up in the apostate Jerusalem is found out for what it is. So that same verb is used that same word is used to describe what must be discovered what must be made plain about the christian it's a warning for those who claim to follow christ as if to say do not be found like the old creational order do not be found like those who do not believe the gospel do not be found as those who do not believe this promise of the coming of christ and so this first call and there are three this first call in looking for these things is a call to courage to persevere in godly character. So I'll read all three of them off in preparation. First is a call to courage to persevere in godly character. Secondly, there is a call to confidence to trust in God's plan. And thirdly, which we'll probably get to next Lord's Day, is a call to commitment to honor God's word. It's a call to courage, a call to confidence, and a call to commitment. So let's look at a call to courage to persevere. In godly character. And that takes us back to this word. Diligent. And certainly we need this today. See where is this courage found? Where is this courage that is so greatly needed. In Christians. I would say especially Christian men. Men who proclaim Christ today. Have become so limp wristed and weak sauce. It's like we have no conviction. We've lost all semblance of a spiritual spine. And make all kinds of concessions and compromises. To adhere to to the spirit of the age. We live in a very half-hearted society. So even if you are diligent in what Peter prescribes here, you will stick out like a sore thumb. You will be noticed since we have so much lukewarmness, so much compromise, such a lack of zeal, such a desire to fit in. Once you put your hand to the plow, once you take Christ seriously, once you put his kingdom, the glory of his name in first place, People will notice. That's what means to be diligent. It means to make every effort. It means to make haste. So there is a, there is a, an urgency behind being diligent. To be diligent means you don't take the Lord casually. It means you don't take the gospel forward in a passive way, which bends to every temptation to persevere, or every temptation to compromise. Rather, it is diligent to persevere. Think of that in the context of what he says at the beginning of verse 14. Since you look for these things, right? We are to pay attention. That is a pattern, not only in 1 Peter, but especially the Apostle Paul. We are to be in readiness all the time. We are not to be caught sleeping. We are to have our eyes opened and to pay attention to what the Lord is doing. And so vigilance begets diligence. You are not going to be able to engage something you're not paying attention to. And so what we're doing in this is whether in our present day but especially in Peter's day remember they were anticipating the coming of the Lord in judgment and the inauguration of the new heavens and new earth through that judgment they're looking for that so they are looking for God's word to come through I think that's where it especially connects with us today we still live in light of God's promises God is a God who keeps his word and so we are looking continually for God's word to manifest itself for the, for the trueness of God's word to manifest itself. And in that we rejoice. So there is diligence. Diligence to be found in him. To be found out. As opposed to all that is corrupt and worthless. So there's three particular things if you'll notice here. That I think are emblematic at this courage of perseverance and godly character. Here are, the, here, are the, here are the godly marks. Look at verse 14. We are diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless. So there's three things there. There's peace. think no doubt that is the peace of God. And there, of course, are these issues of these characteristics of being spotless and being blameless. And of course, that was something that was a concern of the Lord himself. When he's describing this judgment in the Gospels, he asks this question, and this is pertaining to his return in judgment. He says, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And I think the answer to that is, yes, he would find faith on the earth. Many would fall away, but he would, when he would return, he would also find those upon the land who were faithful. And so this is what faithfulness looks like. This is how faith expresses itself. The fact that we have peace, that we are spotless, and that we are blameless. And I think this is a good summing up of the Christian's willingness, diligence to persevere in holiness. These three words really cover a lot of what characterizes the believer, especially when Christ judges. So consider peace. Consider peace. Remember, Peter is not only saying that Christians are to have these things, but he's also telling us that these are things that the godless and apostate do not have. These are things that the unbelieving do not have, and he already mentions them. Consider peace. In chapter 2 of this book, he describes apostates as those who never cease from sin right there is a kind of restlessness in the heart of those who do not believe the promises of God and this restlessness is expressed from a lack of cessation from sin they have to sin they are driven to sin they love their sin there is no peace in the life of those who continually must sin there is no rest for them In 2.17, we see them as mists driven by a storm. Is a storm a good word to describe the Christian at rest? See, there is a madness here. There is a disorder that describes the unbeliever. How about stains and blemishes? In 2 Peter 2.13, if you want to look there, he says that they are suffering wrong as the wages of doing wrong. They counted a pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are stains and blemishes reveling in their deceptions as they carouse with you. And then he goes on to say, having eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin. See, they're always looking for an opportunity to sin. And of course, that is demonstrated by the fact that they are stained, they are blemished, they are filthy and corrupt. And these are people, keep in mind, that once claimed Christ, in fact, they may still be in the midst of them and still claiming Christ, only they're calling into question his direct promises but how do we understand we are called to be spotless so peace we talk about this often in the context of shalom right not just a sense of tranquility not just the sense that all is all is calm all is bright but we understand it in its whole context meaning that there is that when we have god's peace when we are in a state of shalom that there that we are functioning the way that we were designed to function when we were apart from christ we function in a particular way We lived in rebellion, we lived in order to fulfill the desires of the flesh, we walked contrary to the Spirit of God, that is the description of a person who does not have God's peace, where they are not functioning faithfully as image bearers, quite the opposite. So when we are in Shalom, we are functioning the way that God has designed us to function. We are created in Christ Jesus to do good works, that we may walk in them says Ephesians 2.10. That is the optimal function of the believer in Jesus Christ. And so when a professing Christian does not regard these things, he may come to even despise him, and of course, his life will eventually descend into chaos. Remember, it is Christ or chaos. There is no in-between, and if you think so, you're fooling yourself. Eventually, a Christless existence will result in nothing but chaos. Christ or chaos, shalom or disorder. And so those who scoff at the promises of God, are at open war with Him. That is anything but shalom. God created us originally for fellowship, to enjoy His presence, to worship Him, to delight in Him, to be His holy, devoted people. And So the one who is not peace rebels, makes open war against God, does not desire the presence of God, does not desire the blessings or the peace of God. And so when we have His peace, when we trust in Him, even through the trials that Peter is speaking of, right? A lot of scoffers, a lot of temptation, a lot of people who are coming and, and proclaiming that, hey, you can live life any way you want. I mean, read chapter two, it's really ugly. But they are, they are giving license to this way of life. And the Christian says, no, I will not walk in this manner. This is not peace with God. And you think about this, during these temptations, during these trials, when Christ, especially when Christ shows up in judgment, it is those who are at peace with him Who will stand? It's kind of like what is, I believe it's known as the black in firefighting terminology. It's the area that's already been burned over, right? So if there's a big old forest fire and you're caught in the forest somewhere, the safest place is to be in the black, where an area that's already been burned over, where the wrath of the fire, as it were, has already, has already come down and consumed. That is to be in a way at peace with God. See, we stand in the black. We stand in the area that has already been burned over. We stand in the area where Christ has already been burned over by the judgment of the living God in our place, on our behalf, to God's glory. Those who stand there are at peace with Him, whereas everything else is judged and burned. So don't find yourself outside of Christ. Because anything outside of Christ... Is to be outside of peace, especially with what Peter's talking here. I think this, this, this lack of shalom, or I would say this, this presence of shalom, is best expressed in the fact that we are no longer warring against a holy and righteous. But the only reason we're not doing that is because Christ in his blood has reconciled us. And so we have that peace. And so when trials come, when we face the heat, as it were, of unbelief and temptation and persecution, we are not to be found as restless and in chaos. No, we are to be found at peace. Life is as it's meant to be, even in the midst of, and I think there is a, is a wonder that comes upon those who do not believe. And, and we hope it can be a catalyst for them to hear the gospel and turn to Christ. Because when it all comes down, right? When the world is falling down around us, who are people going to look toward? Those who have peace and who has peace? Those who have been justified through faith. Those are the ones who have peace with God through our Lord. We have peace. We are also blameless. When we think of something as being blamed, right, it it notes the dysfunction. The dysfunction that is upon those who do not trust Christ. So to be blameless at the end of temptation or even going through trials is to say that no one can look at you and observe a pattern in your life that seems to contradict the claim that you follow Christ. We are all called to walk blamelessly. doesn't mean we never sin. We're not looking at sinless perfection here, even though perfection is always our standard. Our standard is always the perfections of Jesus Christ. But we're talking about a pattern, a committed, definitive, observable pattern, that we are not in a state of dysfunction, rather in a state of functionality, having the peace of God. That our faith is vibrant and strong the net effect of course is to be blameless inside and out from top to bottom that we find that corruption is being ruled out then we have spotlessness commentator uh, green describes this as without moral defect see this expressed by james james one twenty seven. pure and undefiled religion in the sight of god our god and father is this to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world that is to be undefiled and unstained, to be spotless, there is a concern, a deep concern, a diligent concern for the Christian, within the Christian, to keep oneself unstained by the world, that we can be in it, we can get our our hands dirty, we can be involved, we can call the world to repentance and yet be free from its compromise, be free from its waywardness. Paul says as much to Timothy. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, he says this, I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate that you keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. So That standard is no different for us. Note that Paul was expecting the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. The same expectation that Peter is enumerating to his audience. Do this until Christ appears. Keep the commandment, right? His commandments are not burdensome. Keep them without compromise. Don't live a double life. Don't keep the commandments of God here and then the commandments of men here. No, keep it without stain or reproach. Develop a pattern of godliness so that you don't fall into compromise and eventually unbelief. Be diligent. Let's go back to that word diligent. Because we find how this actually takes place. In chapter go to chapter one, verse verse ten. He uses the same word, and I think in a way says the same thing. He says, "Therefore, brethren, right, beloved and then brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you for as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble for in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom, again, the eternal kingdom which was about to come to bear in Christ's appearance." kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. You will go in lacking nothing. But he says this, this this challenge of of diligence and as if he's saying the same thing, yet in a different way to make certain about his calling and choosing to practice these things and never stumble. Right. That is to be found in peace. That is to be reckoned as blameless. That is to be reckoned as spotless. It's, it's a different way of saying that you haven't stumbled. And stumbling, of course, was a big concern to the apostles in that day, to stumble into apostasy. This isn't, This isn't. we use the word stumble in such a, I think, a, a, a misguided way. When the apostles typically use the word stumble, it's not like to trip and then regain your footing and keep walking the way you were walking. To stumble is to is to stumble in such a way to where you stumble in belief it's a catastrophic failure of faith to where it is revealed that you never really believed in the first place and you may have been taught faithfully you may have been catechized you may have been discipled you may have been reminded like Peter's audience of the promises of God again and again and again okay let's start from the beginning let's talk about the promises that God has made let's talk about how they've been fulfilled in Christ let's talk about Jesus's promise to return in power and glory and judgment. All clear? Yep. And if you don't get it, I'll start from the beginning. Right? Repetition is the key to learning. So we keep, we keep teaching it again and again throughout our lives, even going back to the most basic things in Christianity so that we are firm in the truth. And yet some, even though they have received the truth, they have not received it in faith. And so stumbling, which is what Peter is warning against in this entire book, is to stumble into catastrophic failure of faith, to stumble ultimately into unbelief, even though you have all the knowledge. Sort of like a, like a scuba diver. you got all the equipment, you're deep in the water, you have all the, everything necessary to breathe, and then to surface without injury to yourself. But think about this scenario. You're in the water, right? You're breathing, you're doing well. And then you realize all the water that's on top of you. You start to panic. And then, of course, instead of trusting the equipment given to you and how you were trained to use it, you foolishly end up drowning. And in your panic, you may drag others down with you. Panic rarely stays local. Right? Catastrophe is rarely an isolated incident. And so many Christians are like that man with a a scuba gear. You have all the training, you have the knowledge, you have the truth. It's been taught to you again and again so that you can come up and not only live, but to live abundantly. And yet, you stumble into unbelief because you did not trust the equipment that God gave you. And so, there was a catastrophic failure of so-called faith. But that's what we desire as Christians, as we stand firm in the faith. We are found in peace. We are found in a right, right relationship with God. Living out our identity as faithful image bearers as we were created in Christ to do. That is the shalom of the Even though there is so much uproar, so much judgment, so much cataclysm, so much temptation, we are able to still function as God in the power and working of the Holy Spirit. This is the peace of God, as Paul says, that transcends all understanding and guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It keeps us from stumbling into unbelief. That is what we desire to be found about us. right? I don't don't think this... This finding out is limited to this first century church. Remember, we are, in the, we are in the age of the parousia. Christ is present, ruling amongst his enemies, judging the nations. He's been given a kingdom, right? Fulfillment of uh, Daniel chapter 7 is, is looked forward to here. Christ is given a kingdom. He's ruling the nations. And yes, there are some who rebel against him. But in the midst of this ruling, even for the last 2,000 years, everyone at some point or another has been found out. Regardless of their creed, the truth of the matter will be made clear. So it will be with us. So it will be with the Maas Road. So will it be with the saints here today. All will be made clear. And when that happens, we want to be those who are full of peace, that we are blameless and spotless, and we have not fell into compromise with the spirit of the age, no matter how attractive it is. So we ask ourselves, well, that's good. Right. Diligence is good. Peace is good. To be spotless is good. To be blameless is good. There's a lot of good things. But I think the question, of course, that deserves to be asked is how do these things happen? Right. Is there a is there a process? Is there a way we see this come to bear? How do we instruct ourselves regarding this? I think the first question that comes up is regarding diligence. It says be diligent, which which means make every effort. And we say, well, what what, what does all this talk about effort? I think if we read it carefully, that may come up in our minds. If all is of grace, if all is of God's divine provision and sustenance, then why this talk about effort? Why this talk about diligence? Why this talk about trying? You know, if we're if we're really cagey in our Calvinism, sometimes we read words like this and we become alarmed. We become unsettled. What's with this effort? I don't want to undermine the grace of God. Well, let me let me um, give you some encouragement. Maybe you're not freaking out at all. Maybe I'm the only one. Um, isn't this all of grace? And I would say that is the very point that comes out of Peter. All of these things are works of grace. All of these things come through, come from God. Our peace comes from God. Our blamelessness, our spotlessness comes from the working of God. They are all works of grace. That is precisely why Peter tell, tells us to be diligent in them. We are to be diligent in grace. We are to pay careful attention to the gracious work that God is doing in each one of us. The grace that entails peace, the grace that entails being spotless and being blameless, it all begins with God. He provides it. So when we're diligent, that just just means we are diligent as it pertains to grace. There is nothing here that smacks of human effort and power. There is no contribution here on our, our part. It's just participating in the grace that God supplies abundantly to us, so His grace, rather than being undermined, is actually magnified. We see its power; we see it in all of its detail. But let's look at Jude twenty-four. I think it gives us some guidance here. In Jude chapter tw- or ver- chapter one, verse twenty-four, it says this: "Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of His glory, blameless and with." Great joy. So there's also an attitude that a fruit of the spirit that accompanies blamelessness and and a, a lack of stumbling. Right? We have joy in this pursuit. We have joy in in not stumbling. We have joy in standing in the presence of His glory, blameless. It is God. He is the one who is able stumbling. He is the one who is able to make us stand. He is the one, and in His power. Is able to keep us blameless and without a legacy of compromise. See, it starts with God. That's the most important thing in understanding diligence, is that it begins and ends with God. He keeps us from stumbling by His grace, and He makes us able to stand in His glorious presence with grace. So we start with God. Here's another thing. I think there's there's also preparation. There's preparation at hand. Remember. A huge Old Testament theme, as well as a theme in, in Peter and in his writings, is the issue of consecration, of a preparing oneself to do life in the presence of God, in His gracious presence. So in Romans 6.11, we, we learn this. He says, even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So this diligence is undergirded by a particular attitude. Yes, we consider ourselves to be dead to sin. We have nothing to do with it. Right? It's like a shunning Shun. And do not unshun sin. Shun sin and keep it that way. We are dead to sin and we have nothing to do with it. But we are alive to God in Christ Jesus. It's amazing. We are alive to now. Consider Romans 6.13. He says this, And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. So there it is. More like new covenant consecration. On one hand, there is a negative to it, right? What we're rejecting, what we're turning away from, that is, we consider ourselves to be dead to sin. But it doesn't end there, right? The Christian life is not on autopilot. The Christian life is not passive. It's actively engaged to the grace of God. So then he says this, but present, say here's the pos—here's here, the positive action, present yourself to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. It's the same spirit as Isaiah, right? Here am I, send me, Lord. Here I am to do your will. Do with me as you please, because I want to be an instrument of your righteousness. Now listen also what Paul says in Romans 13. He says the night is almost gone. The day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light, right? More positive instruction. It's amazing. I think it's amazing how the the Christian's attitude would change and develop if he thought these verses through. This is preparation to live a godly life. Men, this is preparation to live a godly, manly life. To put on armor, to prepare ourselves for the fight, not to shrink back in cowardness, cowardice and compromise. And then he says this, verse 13, let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, Okay, these, this is your past life, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality. Sounds like the modern day American life outside of Christ. Nothing new under the sun, friends. And then not in strife and jealousy. Verse 14, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the, fre- for the flesh in regards to its lust. So that is, I believe, crystal clear. Now if you'll turn with me to Colossians We see this same thing in Colossians chapter 3. And I believe we see more specific instructions and specific expressions of what it looks like to put on the Lord Jesus Christ, to put on the armor of light in a dark world. And he says the same thing. If you look down in verse 5 of Colossians chapter 3, he says, Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. See, it's all idolatry. You may think it's innocent, but it's just, all it is is worship of a false god. Now you go down to verse 12, and he says, So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, who's Peter talking to? The beloved. Similar audience, right? Just different, just different location. He says, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another, and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell, uh, richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts, to God. So you see what diligence leads to. It leads to worship. It says, whatever you do in word and deed do all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks through him to God the Father. So this is how diligence expresses itself whether internally or externally in that your very work you will do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. that, that is That everything you do will be done for him. Done for his glory with a thankful heart. With a thankful heart. And there's a development to this. One more passage. In, in 2 Peter chapter 1, we see these things come out as well. And I think this is what we show our diligence toward, right? Peter says in verse 5, applying all diligence, right? Same word. This is your spiritual commitment. This is your focus. This is your courageous perseverance. He says, in your faith supply moral excellence, in your moral excellence knowledge, and in your knowledge self-control, in your self-control perseverance, and in your perseverance godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, that should be the, the the present hope of every Christian. We want to be useful. We don't want to be useless. We don't want to be on the sidelines. We don't want to be ignorant of what God is doing. We want to be tuned into how His grace is being made manifest in His church and even among the nations as we proclaim the Gospel. We want to be mindful of that. Because this is the character, right? This is the character that undergirds this conquering work of preaching Christ and Him crucified. Let me tell you something. The Lord is not going to build His kingdom through the work of hypocrites. He's not. I mean, of course, we may have some incidentals along the way because the Lord can use anything, any circumstance to His glory. But he is advancing his kingdom through those who walk with him, who are diligent in pursuing godliness, who are not afraid of public opinion, but to those who, as the spirit supplies, who show courage to persevere and and endure the hatred and rejection and scoffing of those who do not know God. So that's this morning's call. Predictably, I get through one point but it is sufficient for the task. It is a call to courage, right? It is a call to repent. If you have it in your heart, to repent from cowardness, to repent from unbelief, and to entrust yourself to a God who will sustain you, who will enable you to persevere and keep you from stumbling as He continues to do His work, His new creational work. That's one thing we have to understand here, even though this is written so long ago. And something that we've been studying a lot in our men's Bible study is that this new creational work that the Lord is doing is done upon this creation, right? This this fire, this burning up is not annihilation, but it is a restoration and exaltation of this creation. Let me read you again what Willem O'Neill says in his book, The World is Christ. It'll sound familiar to many of you. It is impossible to separate creation and the kingdom. It's impossible to make that separation of creation and the kingdom of God because this is what the kingdom of God is all about. Note this. The elevation of the creation by Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit for the glory of God the Father. It will be a new world in the sense not of replacement, but of renewal and elevation of this creation. And what an encouragement for us then To stand strong and be courageous because we are agents of God's very promise. Still to this day, no matter how the world will flex its so-called muscles, we stand strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. So let's be courageous together and persevere in godliness. It's not an option. If we belong to Christ, we want to be godly and we want to be. So let's commit ourselves to that. Father, we thank you again for our time together in your word. We thank you that we can even concentrate on one point that we have a call in light of your promises, in light of your promise to bring about a new creation. We have a call not to excuse ourselves, but to be involved in this work that you are doing. Even though we contribute nothing, we do not contribute our strength, our wisdom, we do not contribute our, our insights or our deep knowledge of things. Any involvement we have, Father, rests solely on all that You bring. Your absolute sufficiency, Your wisdom, Your strength, Your insight, Your knowledge. You bring us Christ. You unite us with Him. You bring us alive in Him so that we may be ambassadors of Him. And that is what we desire. Lord, we do live, we certainly live in times and we witness this definitely in our own country, even in our own city, a lack of courage. We see so many faint hearts. We see so much compromise. We see so many excuses made to simply withdraw and let someone else handle it. Even at times tempting ourselves to think that You have nothing and want nothing to do. And yet, Lord, we can be encouraged afresh today that You do intend to restore it. That as we proclaim Your kingdom, it is intensely involved with the renewal and exaltation with this creation. That You will do a work in such a way that we will see heaven reunited with earth, creation made whole again. And yet, this time, that we will never be separated from You again, as Adam was. We will rule and reign with You forever, in complete joy, in complete peace. Lord, may we be diligent to be blameless. May we be diligent to be spotless, understanding that it's not legalism, it's not a counterfeit righteousness, but it is behavior befitting those who are righteous in You. Those who depend on the work of Your Spirit that we will have that and more, that we will be those found at peace. When all is said and done, when all is laid bare, there will be no mistaking those who trusted in You. And there will be those who have Your peace. And Lord, we also recognize that that peace only comes through the shed blood of Christ. That we are at war with You until, until Christ's reconciling work is applied. And we can be here today thankful with joyful hearts that, that You have sent Your Son to die on the cross for our sins. In the place that we deserve, that we will have real peace. That it is that it is against our image-bearing nature to be at war, to be for things to be chaotic. We thank you, Lord, that this this status of life in your presence, of walking with you, can be restored in full. And then some. help us to realize that. Help that to reinvigorate our hearts. May we not be callous toward these things, but that you would uh, invade our hearts in such a way that we do not seek to deny it any longer there any in here this morning who are not at peace, who are filthy and corrupt with sin and in unbelief, that you would draw them to you, that they would you would open their hearts so that they would believe the gospel, that they would believe the power of God and salvation and find rest in Christ today, and that we can rejoice with them over that very thing. On all these things, Lord, we as we look for these, we have thankful hearts. We uh, we are grateful towards you, Lord, and all that you have done.